Hi everyone, how are you doing? My name's Gareth Duffin and welcome to Know Your Shift, a podcast where we explore the challenges, opportunities and impact of change in all of our lives. Change can be unsettling and often difficult to navigate, but it's also a part of growth and progress. On this show, we'll be talking to experts, business leaders and everyday people about their experiences with change and how they've overcome obstacles to embrace it. Whether you're looking for inspiration, practical tips, or just a fresh perspective on change, we get actionable advice. So let's dive into the world of change, embrace the unknown, and help you to change your direction. Hi, Kevin. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We always start with the same first question, which is what is the hardest change that's happened to you in your life? Well, I think um, naturally I've, I had what was a very unfortunate stroke and um, I've tried to sort of, the other day I released a video on LinkedIn, just give people a bit of an impression how my life has most probably changed from the guy they remembered and how sort of... Um, immediate and impactful such an illness can be um i mean physically a lot has changed which for a guy that was very you know fitness minded and healthy it was a big shock to me um i'm gradually coming to terms with that i think you go through a lot of grief within a stroke stroke recovery process because you feel naturally you've lost the old person you remember so um Change wise, I mean, I'm employed, I've got a job, which has been fascinating. I'm finally being managed by someone. <laughs> and how are you finding that? Um, so <laughs> I'm learning a lot. My life, is, I mean, my life has changed. I've had to sort of regear my purposes, everything, my goals, everything has changed personally for me. Okay, so do you feel like a different person since that happened? Um, I do. I do. If I look at the person that let's go back now nine ten months ago I didn't know if that person would ever come back mm-hmm. um I'm incredibly I look at that guy I look at old videos in my recovery process and I'm incredibly proud proud of that guy um it's been a heck of a journey for me and all of my loved ones that have been involved in this um so yeah I think as a person I I look at that I think in life you sometimes question who are you and um I've learned that I'm I was the person I thought I was which is quite a nice place to be in my life really yeah i think obviously looking you know like i'll listen to your stroke stories episode about you know how how um how that happened and um a bit for me that i wanted to ask you a bit more about was um you know and we'll come on to onto the business side of it afterwards and work life but um the bit that you know struck with me was when you said about that you sort of you came home and your home became a barrier to you um and how did what sort of happened how did you learn to learn to get around i mean i was terrified of my house um i came back in quite an ill state i would say physically i was unable to walk um i couldn't get up the stairs um every small movement i think i made it clear in my stroke stories podcast i had obviously quite a traumatic head injury um and I was living life getting around those barriers. I was, I'd been learned to made to feel that if I didn't have my white helmet on, then, you know, you were at a serious risk of falling over. Um, 
so things were incredible. I was, I was so scared for both me and my wife. It was, um, we had to get around that fear barrier um, and just take things on. And um, you most probably, as I say, I learned that inside myself, there is quite a brave, courageous guy, really. Um, so, yeah, that was the main thing, getting past that fear, just embracing it. Um, you always struck me as someone that didn't really care what people thought of them, but then, yeah. you know, you, you, you made a point that you had to wear a silly white helmet. Was it for eight months, something like that? Yeah. I mean, that was a long period of my life. Gee, crikey. Um, that helmet is, will I, I mean, it's, I'm going to frame it one day. <laughs> I mean, everything I did, if I wanted to move across the room, I had to put a helmet on. I became, you know, my identity associated to that helmet. And I, I think you're right, Gareth. I've, I've tried to, in life, I've tried to be as um, black and white in my nature as possible. Um, I like, you know, people say I'm quite honest in, in the way I am. Um, I've tend not to be fussed what people think of me. I am what I am. And I learned this, this period of my life has taught me you are what you are. Who cares? When you've been in hospital for seven weeks, you know, um, you get used to people seeing every part of you. Yeah. And um, the other thing that struck me was when uh, you and Laura, your wife, made a pact never to fall out yeah uh, about anything that happened how did that go i mean um fair play to my wife she and laura is my absolute hero um i mean you couldn't ask for somebody to sacrifice more than what laura has to, for me um she defended me at exactly the right times in my life um and really while i was ill she stood up at a point that was running the business by herself in one sense when her husband wasn't able to run the business um so um, we we did. We laughed. We had to take some form of humility in it all, really. Uh, um, it was our way of getting through the, the tough times, I think. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we, we, we've definitely fallen out. Um, I still leave the keys in the wrong place. I think that's a natural part of a relationship, isn't it? I still yeah. leave the toilet seat open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that'll never change. Um, yeah. So going to go back to the beginning. Well, what I think is the beginning. Um, you graduated from Reading after reading politics and international relations, and then you went into recruiting surveyors. Yes, <laughs> How did I that think, happen? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think um, politics, by all about three years of working on a degree, I've somehow landed in recruitment. I wouldn't change that in my life. Um, I think recruitment became the bright lights of the world be a millionaire tomorrow type thing and I've always had a sense of opportunism um and recruitment matched well for me um, I've always liked business I've always liked the concept of if you can match two things together make you can make hay from it really um my dad was incredibly entrepreneurial um he was an opportunity finder in life and I learned so much from him and I think I always wanted to prove I suppose it's a classic I wanted to prove to him that I could be the person he thought I was so recruitment was really right for me it's a hard working industry those who tend to work hardest succeed the most um it's relationship building you know people I love people I love talking to people I was fortunate I could get talk to people understand them I think people who know me and have worked with me from a recruitment perspective know I've always had an empathetic side to me um I like listening to people's stories in life and um that's how I landed in recruitment, placing surveyors, which God knows I had no, at that point, that was the classic 20 year old trying to sort of work out what does a surveyor do? And I, I actually did work it out in the end. <laughs> um, so correct me if I'm wrong here, 2012, yeah. you then decided 
I'm, I'm yes. going to go on my own. Like, I did. Talk yeah, to me about really that. Um, that was, um, yeah, 2012. I was working for a big global recruiter called Michael Page. I'd learned so much. Um, and I'd always been, I'd always felt in recruitment, recruiters were seen in a certain light. And I fundamentally believe we added value to organization, organizations. And I wanted to prove that really. Maybe starting up on your own is never the uh, greatest idea, but um, something happened in my life, um, which was in 2012, that at that moment made me realise, and I'm only learning now, that life is quite short. And I just decided I didn't want to live this moment without regrets. If I didn't do this, I didn't want to go through life regretting some of the things I'd done or decisions. Um, so I handed my notice in and, and went off and started what was at the time the property recruitment company. Were you on your own that point or did you invite others to join you or right at so the very I, beginning? Actually, I was fortunate that two guys I had known from a previous path in my career decided they wanted to maybe collaborate. So I joined in with them in a partnership and um, we really, they helped me sort of scale up the business as it was. Was it was it classic startup, you know, all huddled around the table or did you, you know, did you manage to, you know, scale up a bit quicker than that oh i was clueless yeah i didn't know what i was doing um <laughs> i suppose in life you can think you're as good as the brand I, i'd worked for big branded companies um you can think you're as good as you are but then the minute someone you leave a recruitment company and try and start it somewhere else you're tendedly not the, <laughs> the people will go well why would we work with you and i was trying to sort of sell a concept that was me on a mobile phone um and I learned, I had to, I was learning, I've always believed what was my proposition. Um, my background was working with affordable housing organisations. How did I get into student? Well, that's a classic case, really. Um, I think one day I found out that CRM students were hiring for an accommodation manager. So I phoned up the human resources manager. Unfortunately, she gave me this opportunity. Kevin, can you find me an accommodation manager? And um I learned so quickly. I was like, no one in this sector is telling people they do student accommodation. And I was like, great, I'm going to be able to, um, and that's it, I'm going to try and do this. Um, so I sort of focused all my efforts on to, I became like into student accommodation, learning all the, the sort of managing agents that were out there, trying to connect with the regional managers, trying to build a talent pool of general managers. And from there, really, it, it sort of, it went, I was in the, I was in the right place at the right time. We saw all this international money coming into the markets and titans were coming in and organisations were growing so quickly. It was it was hectic. So that's how we sort of landed in student um, was was through that more than anything. It's funny, like my, my first job in PBSA was as an accommodation manager for CRM students, funnily enough. So <laughs> not recruited by you, Kevin, but, uh, but yeah, so oh, it was a... <laughs> I listened to your episode of the Resilient Recruiter podcast back in oh, yeah. 2020, I think. Oh, um, and you said um, that one of your uh, main missions, perhaps I should call it, is daring to be different. Yes. So um, how do you think you went about being different to everyone? I know at, at the beginning you were the only people really doing PBSA recruitment, but you know, how did you how did you make yourselves different to every other recruiter that was out there yeah i think um i realized that knowledge is the most powerful thing you can have really 
Um, so I spent hours into evenings just learning about student accommodation, reading all the market research insights. And I wanted to be able to, if clients were to, or employers were to call me with a requirement, that the different part was I knew how, how the sector worked. I knew everything about it. I felt like my knowledge was really powerful. Um, and actually, interestingly, student accommodation, those, these, the buildings, they're, they're always as good as the people. It's a very, um, what's the word? Like, it's very much about the person that is inside the building and their character and nature. Um, and I became frustrated that I think in life, too much was being taken from a CV. Um, and so we started with the front of desk piece. Well, we got a camera out on an iPhone and started getting people to film videos for us. Uh, and loading them up to a YouTube channel and sending them to organizations saying, here you go, here's a YouTube channel of some candidates, please look. Um, so that was our start in trying to be different, like giving people some exposure to candidate videos. So the beginning of personal branding, I guess. You, you were right at the forefront of uh, getting people to record videos. And, and yeah. I guess you were trying to, I think, sort of eliminate some of the headaches of those first stage interviews where you've got candidate after candidate and you're asking them set questions, right? I know, I know. My, I, I, I feel sorry for employers a lot of times when um, really it's the classic case of recruiters. You cost loads of money, you're, you're expensive, your fees. And what employers never account for is the cost of wastage in running recruitment processes themselves. Um, management time, you know, the panel, people coming in, all of that, and then the leakage in cost uh, just baffled me, really. I was like, you're wasting all of your time. You're meeting people and going, they're not right for you. But how have you assessed them at the very beginning to make sure that you're aware of what these... The, and then you're going to put a management team in to do an interview process. Um, so I tried to think of ways of taking cost out of the picture, um, which I felt the video was more efficient. In a, in a marketplace that is national, European, people are on the move all the time. What's the easiest way to like look at people like physically get on a video and watch someone portray themselves i guess that's uh it's sort of on-demand recruiting almost isn't it you don't have to coordinate in diaries is often this bit isn't it i know i mean you, you get used to the on-demand piece a management agent manager agent wins their contract and then they're on site the next day you know and you're sort of on demand recruiting them <laughs> um and Everywhere I, I go within the sector, I see alumni of the property recruitment company, yeah. including some uh, previous guests on this podcast. Yeah. So um, you must be proud to see people going out there and forging their careers, having learned their learned yeah. the industry with you. Yeah, look, I'm incredibly proud. Um, I always wanted to leave a bit of a footprint in the sector, um, and I'm so I see recruiters now who are in organisations delivering services to employers and. It's great that they've they've come through our, my my stable in one sense. I'm so I'm very proud of all those individuals who have been. I listen to them on this podcast, and I'm just amazed at their sense of um, how they've grown as people. So um, yeah, definitely feel like I've started what was the recruitment industry within, I suppose, real estate operations. I definitely think you did that. And if there's some of the best moments you look back on from property recruitment company, you know, is there some? something that sticks out in your mind um i think um when we've helped organizations to mobilize you know that's i'll always 
be proud of some of the placement. I think personally, I look at some of the people I've placed into the industry and I've seen how their careers have grown. And I'm just really humbled by the fact that people who um, at that moment in time decided to take a, not a punt in one sense and joining a business. And I think seeing their growth and having had a touch point with them, um, definitely proud that we delivered services into Europe and recruited for assets into Europe. Um, I think, yeah, we, we, we changed the way things were done, um, I believe, personally. So, yeah, really, I think uh, I have a massive sense of pride in seeing the alumni. So, I guess, following having a stroke last year, as, as a business owner, your business never stops. Yes. So, um, what, you know, what happened once, obviously, you're in hospital for, for some time, you know, what, yeah. what was going on at the property recruitment company when, obviously, you were you know, looking after yourself, trying to get better. Yeah, I think that was the the challenge in it, really. Um, obviously, when the leader leaves the business, um, there's no succession plan. Um, I was really ill. And uh, I think from that perspective, it was trying to gauge. No one knows in this journey how long he out for. It's not like I've broken my leg and I can return it's technically without being extreme it is a brain injury um so your brain is trying to heal and in, in that you're trying to um work out from your own sense of self where are you at and at that point i totally didn't know where i was at um my life was sort of felt like it was spiraling out of control and um yeah i think that was the toughest part is i'd hoped that there would be some form of protection really and people would stick in it with me and help me I didn't feel that was coming at the time. Uh, so did, did you go back at all or did it just finish? So that's a fascinating, yeah. <laughs> it fit, well, it finished early at the end of this year, which was gutting. Um, yeah. I mean, I people sort of made decisions to, to leave the business, um, which didn't really help my predicament. I was still very much, I mean, at that point, my wife was still hoisting me into a shower and, um, trying to get me pushed around a, a house in wheelchair. So I was a bit stuck on my own. I'd always been quite a visual guy in my presence. I'd always made sure that I could be at the office, etc. So being away from the business, especially when stakeholders are leaving, is never a good place. And I remember um, there was a point where I was just like, this was the most probably the worst, I would be open, the worst moment in my life. Um, I... I'd made the decision I need to get to the office. I need to go and see everyone and sort of give a, if I can, a bit of a rallying cry. So I travelled to the office, free central London with my wife. I was um, on the way there. I have been in a car for nearly four months at this point. So I was being sick. Um, I was so anxious. I got to the office. I was in my bloody white helmet. Um, got everyone into a room and sort of said, look, we can, I genuinely felt, I, I've never given up. I was like, we can get through this. Um, and um, the sort of left hoping that I think people may have seen my predicament and gone actually we need to um look after him I suppose I mean I was desperate to get back to work I always have been work was my life I mean property recruitment company there wasn't a minute I wouldn't think about it um I returned back home and then the next morning I woke up to go sort of start the journey of guiding the business through what was troubled waters and I had a period where I spent most of that morning um, dealing with people handing their notices to me, which I was like, 
yeah, that was the toughest part. Everyone decided to really after doing that, I've decided to to leave leave me and do other things, yeah. which meant the business at that point. But really, the business recruitment is as good as, as the people. So once people are starting to leave you, the business was really in a position where it couldn't be run anymore, and I was left really on my recovery bed trying to. Um, work out the next steps and really made the active decision with my wife that it wouldn't be fair on me and my health to try and salvage the company back to some back to what it was um what i will particularly say is in that time of disarray there were some true heroes in there that i felt gutted that i had to let them go um who stood by me and i mean from my family's perspective listened into a lot of calls that they were involved in they generally would you know shake all of their hands they know who they are um and i truly thank them for sticking by me at what was a very tough time for for everyone yeah it does sound tough and i guess yeah. um are you still in touch with with those people with lots of those people from from those days um, the people that stood by the, the older alumni yes um <laughs> i mean i say his name james Housden. i will always I say in James, I have a, a respect for that guy and I'm proud of what he's achieved. Um, I think he's brilliant. Um, and I mean, James brought the best out in me and always has done. We, we've always been competitive with each other. Um, and yeah, bar that, no, um, I haven't. Um, I think I've decided to take myself away from that, really. That makes sense. Um, but you're, you're, you're back employed. You've started something new recently. Yeah. yeah so... Um, I've joined the Oyster Partnership um, and that's really, as I love the sectors I work in, I didn't want to stop that. There were really two options to me, go alone, do it yourself and then, or find somebody who might be interested in backing an opportunity. And really I met with the MD at the time, Sasha, and what is my boss, Rob Murray, and we decided that that was an area they had felt there was some capability so i've really joined them to deliver a real estate operations um business which has been enjoyable firing up the old network again and uh getting back to what you know yeah getting back to what i know i, I mean it's it, for me recovery is talking to pe people um who are in the sector doing what i love talking about it's a sector of gossip which is great <laughs> well i couldn't have you on the podcast without picking your brains about the sectors you work in yeah. um so pbsa you saw it when it was back in yeah. the day when it was needing investment shall we say um yeah. so now it's got to certain maturity you know iq's been transacted student roost has unite isn't going anywhere where's where's the sector heading now I, I'm fascinated. I could spend hours. This is a beer for me, but um, I don't believe I'm an econometrician. I think we're in, um, I think the sector's in a, a state of challenge, in my opinion. Um, I think we're seeing a rehype of student, you know, there's a demand in student for assets, and clearly that's quite a way off uh, um, from a development perspective. I think the biggest challenge is the operators that will struggle. We've got massive issues with inflation um we've got a cost of living crisis which naturally impacts salary inflation um which from the operator mindset i think we're we're moving into seeing the challenge they will face natural challenges in that i think i worked in recruitment when 
I, I don't want to be doom and gloom, but when it was quiet, it, I worked in a public sector business that went through a, recru- a recession. And I feel like I'm seeing my experience is showing me some signs of how that that happened. Um, you're, it's fast growth operating platforms are tendingly to find a catch now. Um, I, I think underwrites are becoming massively challenging for budgets and salaries, which ultimately, if you're underinvested on the salary side, you're compromising your services. So I, I think, I think we're going to, we might hit a stagnation. I think we're, I'm speaking to more investors who are saying, look, should we build our own platform? Um, you're seeing business operations look at cost saving now. And I saw this 10 years ago where organized big housing associations decided to save costs. They're in source, they're, um, they're labor organizations that were delivering maintenance services. And I think we're going to see more platforms come out. And we've seen IQ and Roost had their own platforms. Um, I think we're going to see a change in that dynamic. I think clients will start seeing if they can build out operating platforms. So those operating in the third party space and yeah. should you know should they be concerned about um, investors moving away or new operators coming up I think, I think for me i would always say to the investor if, if it looks too good on paper work it out um i tendedly think that from an operator mindset you are crucially driven by growth okay it's a cash flow business you've got to keep growing your operating platform winning mobilization projects keep the funding growth and um i think once we start getting into the world where operators are at a cheaper price to other operators i'd honestly say to investors like question that value for money part now um because it could if it turns to run an operating platform, you've got to fund it through profit. And we don't really um, want, not profits. As salary inflation impacts businesses and costs rise, you know, you, you sort of don't want that correction to occur. I guess um, another sector we talk a lot about is is build to rent, um, yes. which obviously is still in its infancy in a way. Yeah. So who do you think are going to be dominant is there going to be a dominant player emerge and build to rent um i think um i think it's down to the management companies really i think dominance is is driven by the management companies um i think as an external coming into the sector 11 months um genuinely native are coming up a lot in those conversations um they seem to be on point with their branding and building operations so I, 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 I mean, the sector, if it's like student and built around with hate, you keep saying student, it needs new financing to come in. As soon as new funding comes in, that tends to be the dominant player. We saw it with Greystar a long time ago in the UK. Um, we saw it like, I think it's now just seeing who makes the decisive move into the UK market. They could likely be the titan. Um, so, yeah, I think big raises will be the... Uh, will be the new dominant player. And then it comes down to who is the best delivery delivering management agent. I guess um, in terms of you know, something that we've spoken on this podcast before, and I'd be keen to get your opinion on it, is, is around uh, clients in the build-to-rent sector wanting people with build-to-rent experience. Um, yeah. You know, is, 
are there enough of them out there and is that going to cause them a problem down the line um well no i think um i've seen sectors grow quickly and hit the catch where talent starts to cost businesses too much um and that has an on cost okay it's a supply and demand situation um i th- i've always believed businesses need to really gauge what are they what are they looking for and take away the easiest thing in anything is skill matching but you, uh, my job is somebody pays me a fee to go and find someone okay my job becomes null and void if i don't put the human part in it um i can skill match people all day they have done x they have done y they match um, but culture is the crucial part people are going to stay in your organization and add value to your culture um retention is your key really so um i think the sourcing of talent is going to be a challenge i saw nick say it's um potentially car crash territory um i don't think he's wrong in that estimation i think there is um there's still a lot of fundamental things that companies have got to work out and what they're looking for where are they where are they what sectors are they going to find these people in um i think short-term build to rent with the assets that are proposed to to launch that there'll be growth um and uh i don't think i think in student it's fairly static at this point i don't think there's much much demand um i think um build to rent will most probably be challenged it's you know we're we're looking at a marketplace that was i say underwritten maybe three years ago and we're driving at salary inflation of well seven percent in the last 10 years i think it's been so stuff that was done five years ago is wrong to what is today. So um, to get the best talent, you just would hope that you've got an affordable, I say affordable budget, but an opportunity to make your business the most enticing it can be. I guess um, another sector I want to talk to you about is is co-living. It gets talked about a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, has anyone successfully described co-living yet exactly what it is? And do you think it will ever take off in the UK? I don't know. I mean, I've just done a project on a co-living building um, and it, it fascinates me. I've been around co-living sites and what is deemed to be co-living. And I've sat there and gone, is that, how is this co-living? Um, <laughs> I mean, if someone can nail that term, it's like the world of acronyms, BTR, PBSA, co-living. Um, I think that's always been these sectors' biggest challenges is describing what are they, you know, um, community is the big word um i just think that i couldn't person i'd be i'd most probably come up with an answer that is wrong to a co-living um asset owner they'd say no that's not in the vein of how i would describe co-living um i mean rick tassario would give you a good explanation of gravity gravity most probably <laughs> and um you like spotting a niche before it's going to grow i wondered whether you were excited about uh, recruiting into the co-living space um i think um it's 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 a hard one co-living um because it needs to be attractive in my opinion um i think the buildings are when you're trying to find people to go into those buildings um explaining it is a co-living it's no different to explaining it's a build to rent asset um so i think the proposition has to be right to make it interesting God, um, I think there's a lot of niche opportunities growing at the moment. Um, I think it's clear to see out there where people are always trying to find where's the next place to put their money. Um, and really, we're, I think it's clear that 
the senior living market has a massive play, um, highly undersupplied from that perspective. Um, unclear on what that proposition is, unlike co-living, really, um, and what, what is that proposition going to be? So I would see that as the more opportunistic marketplace right now. And an acronym, and throw another acronym at you, one that I don't really like, single family housing. Um, oh, God. <laughs> um, is, is that going to... Is that going to take off? It seems to be what everyone's talking about on LinkedIn at the moment. I know. Um, I think there's some first movers in it that have grasped it and get what the proposition is. Um, I think we're seeing Sigma really understand what their, their proposition is going to be. But look, the world technically needs it. You know, um, we're in an unaffordable housing market and there are families that need housing provision. So hopefully someone can get it right and if they can they're going to do very well at it from a lending perspective i would have thought i was thinking how with land costs and build costs what they are like i always wonder how you could get a decent return in single family housing maybe there's some cleverer people out there than me that can work out work that out but it strikes me as you know the sector's done well out of you know, look at pbsa you know cluster flats less studios now but cluster flats pile it high um uh, and and you know keep your your staffing costs relatively low whereas yeah. the single family housing market seems to be quite uh i'd like to see how they make a return in that sector yeah it's, it's fascinating that um i mean yeah with the land costs and how you're sourcing land to deliver and planning, etc. You know, it's trying to keep those costs right, and then at the beginning, getting the costs right for the future projections. Clearly, you love recruitment. Yeah. If somebody wanted to get into recruitment now, would you say do it or <laughs> or, or not? <laughs> I think recruitment is the best learning place you can ever have. Okay. Um, you become in recruitment, you're a consultant, you become your own island, you've got to learn, all right? Uh, you've got to deal with rejection, you've got to deal with learning to be an expert as much as, you know, you can provide for. Um, you've got to deal with people. People have brains. Brains change minds on a regular basis. So you've got to learn how to work with people, understand people's needs and wants. Um, listen is the crucial part. I would, if I was, if I was young again, would I, and somebody said, Kevin, this is going to be your life story. Would you go and do it again? I'd do it all again. It's allowed me to achieve what I've always wanted to achieve. Um, so I wouldn't, I, I love the industry. I love recruitment and I won't be, you know, that's, I wanted to end my career in recruitment. I hope I will be ending my career in recruitment. So um, you've just turned 40. You're a young yes. man. What's next? Cheers, Gareth. What's next? Um, I mean, there's there's milestones anywhere, really. Um, if I can get into a position where Oyster becomes, I would hope, a, a brand of understanding in this sector, that's that's great for me. Um, I, I, I would like to build Oyster a proposition that I think is relevant to the market and we can help clients grow their businesses in the right way, which is cost efficient and with the right people. So what's next? Carry on doing what I love. Um, and uh, I saw you, you, put, you put a quote on LinkedIn that I wanted to ask you about. 
is, oh. which I found interesting. And you said there are good people and there are bad people out there. When someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Like, yeah, yeah, I think life teaches it that really. Um, I'd always hoped that I was quite a good person. Um, I felt in, in my life, I look back on property recruitment company and my own story. I don't think I've ever not done everything I can to um, help others. Um, and I think I think you're right. That's a good question. I, I just think I've seen the best and worst of humanity in, in my eyes. I tell that to a lot of people in people's actions, really. Um, and I think once you can once you can see these things, know them. You know, people they say leopards don't change their spots. And you joined Voice Partnership because you felt that they would understand the journey that you were on and yeah. uh, and be able to work with you to get the best out of you um yeah. and how have they done that and how would you advise other employers to be able to do that yeah i would like to think and i will put it on here if any employer has an, a, a scenario where there is a returner to work i've had the best and worst experience of that um and i would safely say in oyster um my boss has been phenomenal um i think he's genuinely I think it's easy to look at me or in one way with a stroke and go, he's okay. He's fine. He can, you know, you can do it. And my boss has really just invested in me, put the effort in and um, tried to teach the old dog new tricks, much to his um, frustration, I would have thought. But I think it's about, I've always been very clear on this. If I can play my part in, you know, trying to, help what is the disabled community in a in a transition to the workforce um i spoke to at the time which was the ex-ceo of um, michael page um and he he actually had a skiing accident and was quadriplegic um and is running a huge campaign behind the scenes of um trying to create workforces to access true talent um i would just say that it's it's a challenging thing um everybody is the same you know we all have the same fundamental needs we want security we want clarity um and i think that's where oyster have sort of stood away from that and been brilliant i think they've really actually embraced me as one of them and that's all i really ever asked for so if you could change one thing about the world what would it be oh good question um i haven't done that in my prep um if i could change one thing in the world what would it be um i think um it's about a world that is is i i have learned to be fair really um i think i learned being in a wheelchair there is naturally and forgive me a, an unconscious bias out there really and i would hope that we can all work together to sort of extinguish that really um so i think a world that is fair to others and that, you know treat people with respect um, what advice would you give to someone who wants to change their direction but doesn't know where to start? Um, I mean, again, I'll go back to what Nick said. I think I have massively changed my direction in life. Okay, it's it's gone to the roundabout and I've turned around it and I've um, changed it. Openly invest in yourself, okay? Um, if you want to experience, you've got to taking, you know, a, a, I say a cut in a salary. You know, and that is your investment in yourself. If you want to start something and you're passionate, go do that. Make the change. I've never regretted any change I've made. 
it's, it's taught me the, the best things I've ever learned, really. What's going to be your next big change? Um, I think my next big change is going to be hopefully in recovery. Um, that's my focus. That is a change in for me personally, physically, a lot of things have changed. I hope that my walking improves. Um, my next big change is trying to build something that means something to me, which I hope I can do at Oyster Parkship. I was going to say that. That sort of came to mind, really. Is um, yeah. you know, would, would you ever go back to uh, running your own business again? Um, it's the hardest job in the world. Um, I respect, I've got a lot of respect for independent business owners. Uh, the stress, the unwavering, like, am I doing that? You constantly will, you're isolated, you'll question yourself in so many ways. Um, I don't think I'd want to go. I I personally don't think I would start a business again. Um, I've not really got, I've not got plans at all to, to go back to being my own business. Um, I'm thankfully in an environment where I'm protected from the stresses of what running a business is. Um, I've seen my boss and I, I know that the pressure, you know, he's, he's, he, he thrives in that environment. Um, I used to, I, you know, you've got to be a certain character to thrive in that fight or survive mode. Um, if you were to recommend a guest for me to speak to on the podcast, who would it be and why? Um, so I would say Paul Watson at now. Um, I think, He's got exciting things happening. It'll be great to get his take on what's going on. Um, Rachel Haneke Brooking at Apo. I think she, um, she's she got a different sense of and different perspective on things. And honestly, Paddy, uh, Paddy Allen, I think he's very well measured in what is happening within the market and its forces. He's real estate operations. I think he's great. Uh, and Joe per Perishino, um, very, very good global perspective i would say on the these alternative investment markets well some great recommendations there we'll certainly reach out to them and uh, hopefully get some more episodes um um and yeah i guess lastly i i know from your linkedin posts that you've been putting out about um your recovery and your journey so far that you know there's there's a lot of people that wish you well out there in your recovery and just yeah. you know where are you physically with your recovery and um hopefully it's all going in a positive direction yeah so physically at the moment um i mean i look back on a lot of times when i get stressed or depressed about where things are at i go back to my recovery diary um which i took throughout my time in hospital and i realize how much more i've moved on um i think physically i'm I'm capable to a certain extent. I'm fortunate I can walk. I was a big walker in my life, so I'm able to get around. Um, I think, as I say, I put the video on LinkedIn. I think people can see now I'm up. Um, I still have some deficits in my left arm that is still non-functional, so I'm living a life with one arm. Uh, there's no written sort of proposal on if that's going to come back. Um, I work hard every day in the hope and that it will. And if it does, then the next stage will be getting that to a functional point. That's good to hear. And um, I just wanted to say thanks, Kevin, that's for joining good. me on the podcast. Um, you know, we've I've certainly been been following your posts and listening to your podcast. Um, really inspiring story. And and I know there's so many people out there that that 
we'll probably be back in touch hopefully yeah. uh, now that you're back at the oyster partnership because um they could certainly yeah. do worse things than picking up the phone to you and and trying okay. to get you to find some find them some talent so um so yeah thanks so much for for joining me today so i'd just like to say Gareth, to you, on that note i'd like to thank everyone who reached out to me in what was the the toughest part of my life and um the, the people who came and visited me from afar that were previous employers, I thank you truly. And um, please reach out to me, okay? Um, I'm an open book here. I will tell anyone what they need to know. Um, I, if I can help someone avoid this case, I, I would happily talk to someone. So please reach out. But thank you very much for letting me come on. All right. Great. Thanks, Kevin.